umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we're going to talk about michigan's 42 to 3 victory over iowa to become big 10 champions well clint what'd you think about that one Looked a lot like the rest of the season did. Looked a lot like uh, what the second half of the season has been, certainly. You know, Michigan had a plan, went out, executed, and uh, Iowa fought valiantly through, uh, you know, a little bit more than two quarters of football, but eventually the dam broke. You know, they they just didn't have the firepower to keep up, uh, especially on offense. You know, watching watching that Iowa offense was painful, but – Seeing seeing Michigan get those two big explosive plays and go up fourteen to nothing, you know, you started to get a feeling that you know I don't know I, I don't know how the Hawkeyes can come back from that. So um, they kicked a field goal, made it fourteen to three. Yeah, that's that's not going to get it done. Even the the whole second quarter felt very Iowa. <laughs> it felt like we were in quicksand and constantly in the shadow of our own goalpost. So I went back and. Uh, looked at what that second quarter, you know, presented itself as. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Michigan was having a hard time, only had a 25% uh, success rate on 20 plays. Iowa, 7% success rate. So quite a rock fight there, and that's that's what Iowa wanted it to be. But once, uh, once Michigan came out and scored again in the third quarter, that was it, all, all over. There's no way I, I – Told one friend, so I don't know if Iowa can score 21 points on air. <laughs> that, that offense, it's, it's a travesty what they're doing to their defensive coordinator there because the offense is just not holding up their end of the bargain. So it was really an odd feel because after the first quarter, you really had the sense that Michigan was going to blow them out quickly, right? And the second quarter, you know, was a slog. And, you know, you start thinking, you know, at halftime, it's like, wow, this is about as well as Iowa could have hoped making it to halftime, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. except for them missing the field goal, that was kind of like an Iowa blueprint for, you know, you survive the onslaught and you try to get something going on. But as much as I was trying to imagine what could go wrong you know i said it before the game i was going to be surprised if iowa made it to double digits and they didn't and i think what's what's kind of amazing to me is that you're looking at the final score 42 to 3 right anybody looking at that score would say wow michigan blew them out and they did but in the second and third quarter it kind of slowed down and I was a little disappointed that, that Michigan didn't put them away quicker, right? But then you look at the final, and, and I guess what I'm saying is that we've progressed so far that in a certain way, 42-3 to 3 was a little disappointing. And it's just, it's really odd that this team is firing on all cylinders, you know, the old cliche, and they just kind of uh, tossed off the doldrums of that second quarter and then it was off to the races. And 
Um, I, I will say that um, it was incredibly loud in the stadium, and it definitely was a pro-Michigan crowd. You know, since many Michigan backers wore maize and many Iowa backers wore their version of yellow, it was hard to look in the stands and, and get a real feel for what the breakdown was because of that. But I will tell you, it was loud for Michigan. And not that the Iowa crowd wasn't loud, but they were they per, were pretty much drowned out by the Michigan fans. And, you know, ever since the Big Ten has moved the championship game there and gone to the, to the division setup, it hasn't happened. So you could definitely tell Michigan fans were having a great time as well as the team. Yeah, there was a couple mo- moments that I thought were, were really impressive that, that came through the TV, was, uh, especially in the fourth quarter, you know, without uh, without the aid or the cue of uh, the, the big house sound system, right? You, you could hear the, the Mr. Brightside kind of stadium and, and the fans that were still there and starting to celebrate come through with uh, the Mr. Brightside and, uh, and the Pump It Up song, which all of a sudden is kind of ubiquitous and everywhere and find myself kind of chanting it as I'm walking through the house doing different errands. So um, it, it felt, you know, from the, from the TV coverage, it felt like a, like a Michigan crowd. But um, after those first two big plays in the first quarter, you know, uh, the Iowa fans that were there must have just been, you know, teeth clenched and, and, you know, let's, let's get out of here before it gets too, too bad. You know, I, I really thought that Iowa played really well, on both sides of the ball through that first half, honestly. I mean, I, I, I disparage Iowa's offense, you know, because of uh, how, how poor they are statistically, but I thought they had a, as good a game plan as, as they could. They clearly uh, shifted all of their scheme to, uh, to neutralizing Aiden Hutchinson. You know, they um, helped on him uh, in their pass game a little bit, but really what they did was scheme – their run plays uh, away from them and then also bootleg away from them. So they, they just simply uh, retreated in, in the face of, of Aiden Hutchinson. So, and it worked, it worked well, you know, they, they hit that. They were willing to run outside zone uh, into a brick wall in order to set up that uh, waggle bootleg pass off of it. And, and then they also ran another play that Michigan has had some success with, um, on their tight end delay where it seemed like their tight end blocked for a full three seconds, four seconds before releasing. So um, the stuff that they did, they did well. And it was clear that, that they had the right idea, but they could not sustain it. You know, Michigan's onslaught on both sides of the ball was too much. Um, Josh Gaddis, you know, did end up kind of pressing Iowa on the edges, right? Um, Jack Campbell, that, that linebacker for Iowa, is really, really good. But Michigan was able to have some success um, getting him run, running sideways, right, and, and made the big run with Blake Corum to kick off the scoring on a, on kind of a, a, a an off-tackle play. I don't remember if it was a counter or if it was a, a zone play, but – Certainly off tackle, and, and and one guy overran a gap, and and Corum's gone, and then uh, then the real play with Donovan Edwards, you know, the threat of, of Donovan Edwards on the edge really brought all of the Hawkeyes, you know, swarming, and then 
he uh, he uncorked it. An absolutely beautiful pass on that on that halfback pass uh, or the you know the double pass. And uh, it's funny. It depends who you listen to. You know, Harbaugh says that he's never missed it, and, and he throws it like that every time. It's been perfect every time. Forty-five yards on the nose, perfect spiral. Yeah, um, we, uh, you know, we knew, uh, first of all, Donovan Edwards, we had that play that was ready for prime time. It's been ready for prime time for about seven weeks. First put it in uh, before he got, before he hurt his ankle. And then when he came back, started uh, greasing it up again and, and knew that that one was going to work. We had, it, we had it planned early. As soon as we got in the left hash after the fourth play, we were going to run that and, uh, and he's never missed on that throw. Uh, sometimes he throws it off his left, his right foot. Uh, he's always on the move, running when he throws it, and every time it's a dime. Uh, and Roman did a great job tracking it down. And, and I saw somebody else reporting that uh, somebody else who has seen their practice or their preparation says that Donovan overthrew Wilson by 20 yards every time. So I don't know who you believe, but that – the one that came out in the game was uh, was a thing of beauty. And then uh, they actually asked Cade McNamara. He drops dimes. And I, mean, uh, <laughs> I was shocked. He hasn't thrown a ball like that in practice, let me tell you. Or else I might be second string. But, <laughs> but yeah, that was, I mean, he's just an extremely athletic player. And, you know, he contributes it off to the offense in his unique way. And, yeah, he's a gamer, I guess, with the with the arm. <laughs> and he can pass. <laughs> and to those people who don't, uh, who haven't been to the post game press conference, what'll happen is one group of players will come out, and then those that group will leave, and another group of players comes out immediately. So what often happens is sometimes the second group will sit and watch the first group before they go on, but but that's rare. Okay, so in this case, the first group didn't see the second group, right? And the first group included Jim Harbaugh, and he said, "Oh yeah, he's he's amazing. He hits it all the time in practice. It's great." And then um, Cade McNamara came out, and he came out, and we have photos on the umgoblue.com uh, photo gallery. Cade McNamara came out with the uh, Big Ten Championship trophy. It's quite a large trophy. He assembled it sat down and answered some questions, how everybody remembers it different. And it, it was a good time. You know, one of the things I would recommend um, people take a look is that, um, you know, and I've mentioned this in the podcast before, I think Cade McNamara has taken more than his share of criticism about um, if he was good enough. Is he good enough to lead this team to a victory over Ohio State? Is he good enough to lead this team to the Big Ten Championship? And the answers to both of those questions are an emphatic yes. And to see him come out with the trophy, there's a picture of him. Um, and, and it's interesting because he's usually pretty reserved. And I say he, he brings out his quarterback voice. Um, he sounds very authoritative and very monotone. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but he just he kind of he puts on his leader voice, right? And... Um, when he came out with the trophy and answered a few questions, he just had the biggest smile on his face. And I think that one of the things I really enjoy, 
and, and we've spoken about this before, Clint. One of the things that I really enjoy is to see um, the guys when they're triumphant, right? Because you know the work that they put in, you know the criticism that they take, and to just you know have the awesome win over Ohio State, to have this incredible win over Iowa. You mentioned the Pump It Up song. So um, we were down in the tunnel waiting for the press conference next to the Michigan locker room. And you could very clearly hear that song being played in the locker room uh, just with the team before uh, they broke to do the press conferences. And one of the other kind of entertaining things is, so they had the huge celebration on the field which um, much of it was broadcast, and there are a lot of pictures of. But um, while things were getting set up, players ran into the locker room and then ran back. And, um, you know, they were going to get their phones so they could take pictures and do TikTok videos. And what was funny was um, there's a huge table of post-game meals, right? And there's a stadium worker trying to stop them, saying, look, your meal, your meal's right here. And they just were blowing by. And then as they would come back, she'd say, look, your meals are right here. Your meals are right here. And she's like, they're not listening. And we're like, well, yeah, there's something bigger kind of going on. You know, it was just it was just these funny little behind the scene things that you see. The other thing that was really gratifying is um, many of the Michigan fans um, collected by the tunnel you know, in the stands. And, and again, there are photos of this on the, on the uh, photo gallery. And um, many of the Michigan players um, not only went up in the stands at some point, which I think that, you know, that was shown on the broadcast, but as they were leaving, they would walk by the wall, slapping hands, taking selfies with people. People would pan their phones down and they were, you know, there's a couple of pictures of Hassan Hoskins taking selfies and David Ajabo. And it, it's just one of those things that you really have to remember that as much as these are great athletes, they're kids, right? And they're excited and they were so happy. And to see the joy that they had, to see the um, just the way they talk about each other. And, um, you know, one of the things that you know, I've found myself in the last couple of weeks engaging with some of the people who are Cade McNamara critics. And, you know, I think you could make a case that he did not have a great game against Iowa, right? There are definitely mm-hmm. some passes he missed, and they still won 42-3, to right? And one of the the points that I make to the to the people who criticize him is they'll tell you the things – that he can't do the passes he might have missed. But what I think you need to understand, and I want to communicate to the fans out there, and this has been true since last season, okay, since he came in and took over, is that Cade McNamara is the glue of this team. He has rallied these guys, and to a man, I think they love him, okay, they admire him. And what's interesting is that you'll hear the people on the outside who look at the box scores and look at the video clips of when he may miss a pass or may not be perfect. But what you're missing is the million things he does right, the million ways he leads this team. And 
um, I think when you when you talk to the players and you hear how they embrace him as a leader, and you know, for example, one of the things that um, I think really encapsulated how the team feels about him is, you know, at Penn State, right? They pulled off that victory late in the fourth quarter, and Cade McNamara is is doing his press conference, and um, you know, they end the press conference. And Aiden Hutchinson jumps in and says, that's my quarterback, and, like, just pats him on the back. And it's that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of affection, that kind of camaraderie that you can't, you can't really write it down in an article, right? But, as you know, and, and Clint, you and I have been around a lot of teams at a lot of different levels. There are teams that gel. There are teams that don't, right? And, of course, it's easy to point to this team being successful as one of the reasons they have gelled. But I'd almost make the counterpoint, the reason they're successful is they did gel. They've been gelling all year. They are in it to win it. And, um, of course, it makes it easier when you win. But, listen, this team did not fall apart after the Michigan State loss. I mean, and, and you could make a case that, you know, the pieces were there if, if they wanted to rip themselves apart and start pointing fingers, and it never happened. Yeah, that's it's it's very evident, you know, in everything that we've said. And, and we have pointed this out, you know, the inverse of this in previous seasons that, that looked like what was missing is that there's not, there's not that guy that's going to step up and make the critical play in a big moment, you know, and to the point where, you know, McNamara's post-game press conference, he goes, I know I sound like a broken record, but this, this team's different. You know, they, we've gone under some scrutiny. We know that. And we've, you know, we've battled through it. We've, you know, it's just, we're just a, just such a great group of guys who just care about each other. And, you know, it's a, we've really had the mentality of Michigan versus everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know what much to say other than I love these dudes. <laughs> like, really. You know, and he's he's zooming in. He's he's isolating that same thing that we that we've said. Where in in previous years and previous teams, in the biggest spots, you know, you just expected something bad to happen for Michigan because the other team had a guy that was going to step up and make a play, and and Michigan has not had that. It, you know that that was the biggest difference. And then this year, this team, you know, has that. You know, McNamara has been uh, cool as ice uh, under pressure in, in the biggest moments in, in fourth quarters. You know, and and when he's played poorly, he hasn't let it rattle him. The only time that that I thought Cade looked off, right, where where he's had some bad games, but where he looked like he was not at his best, where I would have thought of, of maybe taking him out of the game, was that second half against Rutgers after he took the hit right before halftime. If you remember, he had, he was throwing some really beautiful passes on uh, kind of intermediate dig routes, crossing routes that hit guys in stride and receivers were running. And then he took that real, real shot, you know, right to his chest and, and to his head a little bit, fell flat on his back and jumped up right away and was running, you know, could tell he was trying to, to to physically bounce back and kind of shake it off and show that he was fine but yeah he all the rest of his passes that game were not in rhythm right it, it was not necessarily where he threw them but when he threw them and how he threw them so um outside of 
two quarters of football, 30 minutes, he's been solid. Even when he's made mistakes, the next, it does, one bad throw does not affect the next throw, right? And in this game, you're right. The, the interception was another example where it, was not, it wasn't the right timing. And I, I made a mention on Twitter that I'd, I'd be interested to see the, the end zone angle of that pass because it looked to me like the timing was off. Like when when McNamara wanted to throw it, he didn't have a window in the uh, the defensive and offensive line to throw it through, right? And then he so he holds it for an extra beat, and then he throws it. It's behind all. Eric All can't bring it in. And the, the linebacker, Jack, a really great catch on a, on a tip drill. So, um, and he had a couple others that uh, the announcers on the broadcast, Joel Klatt mentioned that he had missed uh, Eric all wide open down the field, but they didn't show the replay with the routes where McNamara had thrown a check down. And apparently Eric all was open down the Campbell makes it, but the swing passes out to the side. Uh, to Donovan Edwards, didn't quite hit him in stride, weren't perfectly placed where he could keep running, you know? And and then he throws that seam route to Schoonmacher, you know, and it's perfect. That's that's one of the best throws he's had all year, you know, the, the, to take the, to score the third touchdown. That seam route was over a linebacker in front of a safety, couldn't be wide, couldn't be deep, right? It dropped it right in there with the perfect amount of touch, and Schumacher makes uh, makes the catch, and, and Haskins pounds it in the next play. And you know, like I said, it, when they hit twenty one, it felt like it was over. You know, and then he threw another great uh, pass on the the flea flicker to all up the sideline, and then a couple one handed catches where you know the only guys that could get the ball were, were the Michigan players. So he bounces back so well mentally and emotionally and, and is so consistent that you can tell that is what this team needed, right? It, it's not, they don't need, you know, 400 and 500 yards in every game from the passing game. But, you know, if they did, they would get it. That's what McNamara would do. But, you know, he, he set all kinds of passing records in high school. It's not that he can't throw. He's doing what this team needs and, and what the coaches are asking of him. And he's doing it with a hundred percent effort and enthusiasm and leading by example, you know, to your point. So I, I agree on the offensive side, he is absolutely critical. And I would echo something that I said earlier in the season. There's a whole lot more to playing quarterback than, than dropping it in the bucket, right? If you can throw it 50 yards, you know, Donovan Edwards threw it 50 yards, you know, pretty well. <laughs> if that was it, yeah, sure. That's all it takes. You could be a quarterback, you know, but I'm telling you, there's a whole lot more as being kind of the conduit that the coach has to speak to that offensive huddle. You know, they don't have microphones and speakers in, in the helmet for college, right? That quarterback's got to process all the information from the sideline and from the coaches and immediately translate that and be able to communicate that in the huddle and then read a defense communicate to everybody at the line and then make snap decisions after right throwing the ball is the last 10 percent of what that quarterback has to do and and the preparation and confidence that he leads with is is what this team needed and it's why they've won 12 games you know for the third time in their history 
So you mentioned uh, the coach communicating from the sideline. One thing that struck me watching Iowa, it was uh, it was the old high school. Everybody's in a huddle in two lines, right? Which uh, you know, I have we haven't seen on the Michigan side in a while. But you know, one of the things that struck me is Coach Harbaugh spoke in the post game, and um, you know, the media. You know, okay. So there's a couple things. The makeup of the media of this game is significantly different. Okay. So what happens is, to those of us who exclusively cover Michigan and go to you know many of the things, you've heard some of these questions before, right? You're getting people who this is the first time that Michigan and Harbaugh are on their media radar and they're asking questions. And one of the questions that was asked is, when did you know this team was different? It's just the way they approach it. It's, they give it their best every day. Um, and then you just... Just that simple thing, and nobody nobody ever thinks it's that simple, but it's it's that simple. There's a thousand other little things that go into it, but um, when you're around a group of guys and you watch them, uh, making sure that they give it their best, their very best, you know, every single day, um, and 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 Aiden did lead that. I mean, that was that was uh, you know from from January, you could see, uh, you know, when he went into the weight coaches and said. You know, I'm coming back, and every time I step into this weight room, make sure you ring me out. Get everything out of me. And uh, you, know, you could tell he was hungry, and um, and the weight coach said, yeah, this can be an all-you-can-eat buffet in here. And uh, and he ate it up. And that, that became contagious, uh, and, uh, and others followed. But, yeah, just this, this is who they are. They give it their very best every day. It's really critical when you have your best player being one of your best examples and one of your best leaders. And, you know, you can, you hear, you know, and again, if you're on the team, you've heard this before, but what's remarkable is they're consistent. You know, they're not suddenly different. And, you know, I I was thinking back to many of the things that the team and Harbaugh has said throughout the year. And, and Clint, we've talked about this. Remember, early in the season, um, there was a lot of criticism that Michigan should be throwing the ball more. And Coach Harbaugh said, you know, there's lots of ways to get places. You can go by the air or by the ground. And people laughed. They were going by the ground. And I even I kept expecting them to, you know, when are they going to open up the offense? This is the offense. And... It's really interesting to see because in some ways we saw, you know, this game was kind of a microcosm of the old and the new, right? Because Iowa was running an old school Iowa offense and, you know, not a lot of sizzle and the kind of game plan you just want to keep your opponent close and get a couple breaks. And as much as, Many would say, well, Michigan's going old school with the running game. I, I would beg to differ. Yes, they are running the ball often, but they are running it from a number of different players. And, you know, in the, the play diagramming feature that I've been doing all year, you know, I've, we've done multiple versions of the pass-pass, and wait, they did it again. You know, it's part of their repertoire. They have many different ways to do it. And it's funny because 
as I've been diagramming plays, I can see three or four more ways that they are going to do it or they can do it that we haven't even seen yet, that they're setting up the options there. The other thing about this team is, so again, you're, you're talking to a lot of the national media and people are saying, wow, get two great quarterbacks. Well, which one's going to go on the transfer portal, right? And you just kind of, well, listen, we got a lot of season, a lot of games before that happens. Now, I'll tell you what, Clint. You have a guy, and I'm talking about J.J. McCarthy, right, who on that play was a lead blocker. I saw a hole. I saw the corner try to crash down. I hit him with a jump cut. and then It was green grass, and I saw J.J. come by me. And I slowed down, slowed down for him, so he get in front of me. I think he took out like two people, and then uh, it was over from that, you know. It was a great play by J.J. That was awesome. I ain't never see a quarterback do something like that. That doesn't look like a guy that's not all into me, okay? You don't see quarterbacks running downfield throwing blocks. You don't see guys motivated like that on many teams. That's not somebody wondering where they're going to be playing next year. That's not somebody who's grousing about not being first string. That's somebody who's all in, and that's how this team is. And I, I you know, I try to explain it to people that, you know, as you said, there are years where you wait and you look for somebody to make the big play. This team has numerous leaders who were all looking to step up, who are all selfless. And, you know, I, I think back to earlier in the year, I would have thought that maybe Blake Corum was going to be the Heisman candidate, right? He looked electric, got dinged up a little bit. I actually wondered at the time if Hassan Hoskins was a little you know, dismayed because he wasn't getting the, um, you know, as much as the spotlight. Coram got dinged up. Haskins stepped in. And here, Coram's back again, and, and they're both getting the job done. And it's just, it is the definition of a team. You see these guys, they're supporting each other. They're they're backing each other up. And it's it's, from a football perspective and from a Michigan perspective, it's glorious to see. Yeah, the, the name that I'll bring up that, that plays into exactly what you're talking about is Ronnie Bell. Maybe maybe the epitome of what you're talking about outside of, you know, maybe Aiden Hutchinson. But Ronnie Bell, you know, has been through some of the most torturous moments of, of the last three seasons since he's been in a Wolverines uniform, right? That that. Uh, drop that he had in the end zone in Happy Valley against Penn State was brutal for for any kid, any player, to have to go through and, and, and kind of face a, a shortcoming like that. And then the um, the social media follow out, you know, fallout, and uh, you know, people acting like like idiots, you know, trying to uh, you know pin all of the blame on, on that play and and, and you know <laughs> telling. Uh, you know, saying some pretty uh, un, untoward things to a, a kid who's you know nineteen or twenty years old at the time, and all he did was come back and be the leading receiver again in twenty twenty and lead by example. One of the only shining examples in twenty twenty of a guy that never ever let up um, it, in terms of effort, in terms of performance that entire season. I, I would argue. He and Hassan Haskins 
and Quiddy Pay when he returned from injury. The only guys that I, I never once saw let up on, on in terms of their energy and enthusiasm. That guy's played 20 snaps for the entire season. You know, he played not even a half of the first game and was so dynamic in that game. You know that, that he's the guy that Cade McNamara was working with. All the work that we praised Cade McNamara for doing in the offseason, who do you think was on the other end of those passes? You know, it, it, it was Ronnie Bell. So for him to stay all the way engaged, right, all in, as you said, and lead from the sidelines and lead, you know, in the meeting rooms, lead in the film room, help out where he can, become a, kind of a, a, a another coach, you know, another, another GA almost in some sense, you know, that, that guy and his mental makeup, you know, for Ronnie Bell, that's exactly kind the kind of kid that makes the difference that we're talking about, the difference between the 2018 team that was really good, won 10 games in a row and was favored in Columbus to beat the Buckeyes, didn't have that, right? They had the right, they had the swagger, they had the right conf- level of confidence, they had the right attitude, but they didn't have the the, the lead by, you know, right, follow me into follow me into battle kind of, of personality. And, and now they've got, like you said, multiple examples of that. And, and even one guy that that's doing it from the sidelines. And, and I, 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 I know that I'm getting old because I identify most, I think with, with Jim Harbaugh, as I'm watching, you know, the, the game wind down, you know, there's, there's a shot of him and, uh, his arms around his son, Jay Harbaugh, right, at the end of that game. and Just kind of a, a father-son moment where they're taking it in together. And then every interview where they're, they're asking Harbaugh these questions, you can tell that he, he wants the attention to be on the kids, you know, that, that, he's, that he's so proud of what those players have accomplished for themselves and, and you know, really picked him up and, and picked the entire program up and 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 did a 180 it's it's remarkable you know but that's feeling that same sense of pride you know as an observer as an onlooker from you know from a distance that's the same way that i feel i mean i'm happy for myself i'm enjoying watching the games i love sitting there next to you watching the games i love driving in the car out to ann arbor with dell talking about the games I certainly love watching and celebrating with my kids and my wife here when, when they're on the road. But, you know, when, when we're sitting removed from the immediate emotion of a game right now, I just I, I swell really with pride that, uh, that this team does things like a football team should, right? They're really good, a lot of skilled guys, making tremendous plays. You got a Heisman candidate in, in Aiden Hutchinson, but – you can tell that they play with with 100% all their passion on their sleeve and really, really, really stick up and, and, and battle for the guy next to them. And those types of cliches are cliches for a reason. You know, that's the stuff when you get when the when you get to those critical moments, like we've said in the past, those guys are going to step up and do it because there's there's some type of synergy on great teams 
that uh, that that's what you need. You need great talent, but you also need guys that uh, are pushed to a higher level by by that whole culture. And um, I'm so so proud to uh, to kind of be even tangentially involved with with what this team did in this season. It's been it's been great. Any other thing too? Can I just add one thing? Absolutely. Um, on top of being great football players. Uh, they're even better people. Uh, and I've always felt that uh, I've drawn the long straw here in uh, being able to coach them. They're a joy to coach. Uh, they've been raised great uh, by their parents. So I'm, I'm not taking any part of that credit. Uh, but, I mean, there's been zero distractions um, in, in Schembechler Hall off the field, uh, and that's that's going on you know, three or four years now of uh, of no off-field incidents, just um, you know, just guys that are you know of high character, great football players, even better people. And and you know this really, I've said this the last couple of years. When this team, when Michigan has struggled against Ohio State. I have enough perspective to know that as an observer and as has somebody at the very tail end of the media, right, I know I'll get another chance. I'll get another chance to see Michigan win. I've become more and more identifying with the seniors when they when they don't get it done. So to see these guys doing everything right, saying all the right things, um, you know, at the game they had um, – one of the families that was involved in that horrific school shooting, mm-hmm. um, they invited him to the game. And, you know, I love football. You know, I, I say, listen, I, I, I emphatically say football is my religion and Saturday is my holy day of obligation. I say that unapologetically. But it's not because of the rah-rah. It's because of the lessons that you learn and the impact that the game has had on me and people I know and having been a part of it in different ways. And you see this team, okay, and they had that family out there, and nothing can make up for the loss that that family went through. But here's a little bit of recognition, a little bit of, hey, you know, the state of Michigan is behind you, right? And this football team is behind you. And what was really compelling is that um, one of the announcers got caught in the um, locker room after the game, right? And I was listening to the radio today, and he relayed the story of how Harbaugh came in and the team was celebrating. He told everybody to take a knee, and he said, listen, he goes, we dedicated this game to that football player who passed away. He could have been one of us, and he was with us today. And you don't dedicate a game lightly. You just don't do that. And, you know, that was uh, that was Doug Karsh, who is one of the, um, you know, the sideline reporter for the Michigan Network. And I didn't know that story until I heard it on the radio today. But what I did know is that, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh is uh, somebody who talks about his religious beliefs. He's very open about it. He is a true believer. And when I say that, I mean that he walks the walk. He will talk about it. He's unapologetic. And in the post game, 
he took it he took a time to talk about you know what they did for that family Aiden came to me I went to Ward uh, and you know they uh, they put everything together and we just how could we honor him how could we honor his memory um, you know it's a community that that needs all of our prayers um, every every one of them and and we just yeah, we wanted, we wanted to offer that up. We wanted to offer our prayers to a community that desperately needs it uh, and offer, offer them up to the one who conquered death um, and also honor Tate Muir and uh, his bravery, his courage. So, you know, when the players, when Aiden came to me, uh, and it was Aiden who, who came to me and, and uh, wanted to dedicate this game to Tate Mir, um, you know, yes, let's do that. Let's uh, let's let's do that. And that was that was that was huge. Um, and then when it was 42, when it was 42 points, and we all looked up there. We we're like, mm. we describe that, describe that, because oh my God, God works in mysterious ways, man. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And when you read all the accounts, um, you know, and, and talking to Coach Line at Oxford High School. Tate was a warrior, um, football player, wrestler, uh, best athlete in the, in the school. And, you know, the best athlete in the school could have, could have easily made it out uh, of that school and been the first one, first one out. But uh, you just know that he was, while well, people were running away from that, that fire, he was, he was running into it, and uh, he's a hero. Um, I'm glad that uh, that our players got got soul too. You know, they got uh, they got they got big hearts. Um, incredible guys, led by this this young man. You know, they they wore that special patch, and they won 42 to three. And it's just one of those things where football is an is an opportunity to do something larger than the sport and to see this team perform and to see how they they made that gesture to the to the community that had such a huge loss um again i i as you said i'm really glad to be on the far far teeny tiny edge of that i appreciate it and it's one of the things that i always try to bring you know, as much as I try to talk about what happened in the game, I do try to talk about what it's like to still be a fan and have this kind of access and to talk about, hey, you can be proud of these guys, right? They take care of business and, you know, I'm an alum, you're an alum. Ultimately, I want to be proud of these guys as they finish their athletic careers, wherever that goes, and as they go into life. I want them to be good men. I want them to be good examples. I want them to be good representatives of the university. And it is just icing on the cake when they can be great football players and have success. And, you know, we talked about this against Ohio State that, you know, um, I grew up with a successful Michigan football team. Okay, that was my experience, the late 70s, early 80s. Um, And... You know, one of my my best friend I met at U of M will say emphatically, you know, he was from Virginia and he goes, yeah, he goes, I first started following Michigan because they were great in football. 
okay? And I, I wondered if in the last 10 years or so, we were losing a little bit of that flame, if we were losing a generation that just didn't understand what it was like to have these huge victories and, and to have this communal experience. And you definitely saw it against Ohio State, and you saw it again, right? And you saw how proud Jim Harbaugh was to be, you know, an alum, to have been a former player, to definitely have known and realized what the struggles have been like, and to elevate his team to do that, I think was one of the most impactful things, um, you know, that he's done since he's been here. Yeah, that's very well said. You know, that's it's exactly what uh, what's really key for you know a real core of the the fan base. Um, certainly, the you know graduates, the alumni base. Um, it, it's kind of the promise that that has been made to students, and, and it, it gains in value and, and over time. And you start to appreciate this uh, more certainly, but what we've seen, you know, this season and, and and in November and now into December, is really really a culmination of an amazing amount of hard work by 140 something players, you know, hundreds of support staff, uh, you know, 20 to 30 coaches and analysts and GAs and, uh, you know, a head coach that has had success at the highest level of the sport, you know, and has been knocked all the way down to, uh, you know, maybe the lowest depth of his particular coaching career all in one swoop, you know, so for him to, kind of come up with a, a vision, right? And to even be open and honest and, and the, the level of humility that he shows to say, yeah, you know, I asked, I called everybody that I know and respect in the game of football and asked, you know, what I should do at defensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, my brother, John Harbaugh, is the guy that I respect the most. And when he said, I've got the guy, I believed him, you know, and that level of community and family and, and, and getting so many people, right, that are, that are directly related to the program, pulling in the same direction. And then now having that level of success that brings the entire community and alumni and fans of all different persuasions and tolerances and, and uh, ages and generations, right? Everybody pulling in the same direction in the last three, four weeks has really been gratifying, and, and it's been fun. You know, it's been fun to be talking about Michigan football again at the water cooler at work. You know, we went to a Christmas party this weekend for my company and, uh, you know, spent 45 minutes talking about Michigan football and, and all the ins and outs and, and what we think. And... I, I had to kind of stop and soak that in for a second and be like, man, I'm glad that it's fun again. I'm glad it's fun to talk about this and not answering questions about what I think is going to happen and who's got to go and how do you fix it, right? It was 
it was much more gratifying to be talking positively. That's for sure. It's nice to be able to say, and those who stay will be champions. Because it's been way too long since... It's been way too long that that was a historical saying rather than something that was real and something that, um, you know, newer fans and, and younger fans could really relate to in a serious way. So, again, hail to the victors. It was uh, it was amazing. And, again, you know, one of the things, reason I mentioned some of the, uh, the crosstalk in the media and the press box was, so what do you th- when what do you think about Cade? How has he survived this long? And you kind of roll your eyes, and um, again, you just kind of okay, you don't get it. But but understand that's one of the reasons that the national media will talk to the beat writers and will talk to the people because they know that you know the, the really good folks, the folks who do their research, know that you know they haven't been watching closely since the beginning of the year. So so. Big, huge win for Michigan. Um, you know, I've talked about how Iowa has rained on my parade a few times in my history as a fan, so it was great to dispel that. Um, in addition to that victory, Aiden Hutchinson has elevated himself. He will be at the Heisman ceremony. So, Clint, how do you feel about uh, Aiden Hutchinson's chances to be to win the Heisman Trophy? Well, in terms of his chances, I think right now he would be the second favorite if you, uh, if you look at the, the Vegas betting odds. The, uh, the, the overwhelming favorite right now is the quarterback from Alabama, Bryce, uh, Bryce Young, who it was a little iffy there, but he had a pretty great game in a – major SEC championship victory over the, the number one team in the nation at the time. So it's understandable, but Aiden Hutchinson, his, you know, rocket ascent to the, onto the leadership or the uh, Heisman leaderboard or, or conversation and narrative is, is certainly well-deserved because, um, you know, the, the trophy is given to the most outstanding player, in college football. And I think that word outstanding is, is pretty critical in that phrase. And Aiden Hutchinson has been absolutely outstanding. Every single snap that he has played, he has made a, a difference in that play because even if he didn't actually get involved in the play, it's likely that the offensive coordinator for the other team had to scheme, <laughs> had to make a decision on how to he- how to get the heck away from 97. So he's either making the play or they are r- running away from him or, or, or getting as far away from him as possible. And he has been the absolute heartbeat uh, of the team, emotionally, from a leadership standpoint, from a work ethic standpoint certainly uh, embodies what it means to be outstanding in, in college football. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad, first of all, or, or, you know, from a higher level outside of the Michigan realm, that a defensive player again is being recognized in the group. Um, it, it's 
there are issues, I think, with how the, the award is determined and how the votes are, are put together and who gets to go to New York. I think it's personally, I think it's ridiculous that Kenneth Walker III is not going to New York as a, as a finalist, but, um, Aiden Hutchinson absolutely should be there. And I think that he's got what I would call a puncher's chance. I, I, I was a little bit down initially when I was talking about this with, uh, with my folks and, and somebody pointed out, you know, uh, in 97, Woodson, people were saying the same thing about Woodson. And uh, it, it was a bummer that Peyton Manning was such a good quarterback that year because it would have been nice to see Woodson win it. And then he did. So um, crazier things have happened in, in a sport like college football. Um, but it, it's, it's an honor that's well-deserved for Aiden Hutchinson to be in New York and, and gain that experience. And I, uh, I hope that they, they do highlight uh, what it's going to be like to have Aiden Hutchinson sitting there with three quarterbacks. And uh, I, I hope they make C.J. Stroud sit right next to him and sweat it out for the entire ceremony. So kind of an interesting conjunction, right? So we're at Indianapolis and, you know, it's the home of the Colts. And you're in the press box and they have some, you know, photos of Peyton Manning, who is not my favorite player for obvious reasons. And, of course, Charles Woodson is down on the field. And I was just dreaming, like, my dream photograph, my dream picture opportunity would be, like, that picture of Peyton Manning with Charles Woodson on one side and Tom Brady on the other side, right? Um, but, again, Peyton's a great player, but... Obviously, my sympathies are are with Tom Brady and and Charles Woodson. So, you know, again, there there's so much politics in it. I think it's great, as you said, that Aiden is being mentioned. Um, it, you know, I remember '97, Clint, and I remember heading into that, thinking that yeah, it's great. Woodson's being mentioned. And um, I happened to be at a Michigan hockey game that night. And you could look up in the press box and everybody was huddled around TVs, right? And instantly you saw everyone in the press box just jump up sky high, right? And you knew what happened. And like a five seconds later, they made an announcement and Yost Ice Arena just went crazy. But the point is, is you knew what it was one of those electric things where as soon as you saw the reaction, you knew what had happened. And it was it was something great to be a part of, to be at a Michigan venue when something great like that happened. Um, you know, I uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I happened to be in New York and uh, actually went to the Marriott Marquis where uh, the hotel where they have the Heisman um, ceremony and not going there on purpose, but went up to use a restroom and ended up in the ballroom, right? You know, a door was left open and it was just kind of funny. Um, so, you know, you kind of know what the atmosphere is like. And again, it's great for the program to be recognized. It's great for Aiden Hutchinson to be recognized. And, and who knows? Who knows? So we'll definitely have more to talk about on that. And so, well... And uh, again, that that kind of puts a button on the 
Michigan Big Ten Championship. On our next podcast, we will talk more about the college football playoffs and, of course, uh, all things Michigan. But for now, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Those who stay will be champions. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.